0: Chapter Three of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Oakleaf Potatoes. Of all the slow people in this slow place, I am quite certain that there is none so slow as Cripps the Carrier. This hot spatch, as the patient Zachary would perhaps have called it, passed the lips of no less a person than Old Squire Oglander. He, on the twentieth day of December, the day after that we began with, was hurrying up and down the long straight walk of his kitchen garden and running every now and then to a post of vantage from which he could look over the top of his beloved holly hedge and make out some of the zigzags of the narrow lane from Beckley. A bitter black frost had now set in, and the squire knew that if he wanted anything more fetched out of his ground or anything new put into it, he might be weeks before he got another chance of doing it. So he made a good bustle and stamped and ran and did all he could to arouse his men, who knew him too well to concern themselves about any of his menaces. I tell you we are all caught napping, Thomas. I tell you we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. The frost is an inch in the ground already. Artichokes, carrots, parsnips, beetroot, even horseradish for our Christmas beef— and upon my soul, a row of potatoes never even dug yet, unless I am after you at every corner. <laughs> I am blessed if I don't see our keeping onions. Now, master, ye no call to be so grum. None of things'll be a half of worse. The frost will only sweeten 'em. You zany! I know all your talk. Hold your tongue. Not a glass of beer will I send out if this is all I get for it. "'Sweet in them, indeed, and when we want them, are we to dig them with mattocks, pray, "'or do you thick-heads expect it to thaw to order when the pot is bubbling? "'Stir your lazy legs, or I'll throw every one of you on the workhouse the moment the first snow falls.' "'The three men grinned at one another and proceeded leisurely. "'They knew much better than the squire himself what his gentle nature was, "'and that he always expiated a scolding with a jug of beer.' Man and boy, said the eldest of them, speaking below his breath, as if this tyranny had extinguished him. In this ere garden I have worked, man and boy, for threescore years, and always given satisfaction. Work us. What would his father have said to hear tell in this garden of work us? Work us. Well, let him come, if it will. Can be hard at work, God knoweth. "'Tumas, Tumas, you say that,' said another lazy rascal, shaking his head with his heel on his spade and then wiping his forehead laboriously. "'Tis the sweat of our brow, Tumas. None of them thinks on, but there they was born to be driving of us.' Squire Oglander made as if he heard them not, and then he hurried to the hedge again and stood on the wall of the leaf-mould pit and peered over the beard of hollies. And this time he spied in the distance Cripps, or at any rate the tilt of the Crippsian cart, jogging sedately to the rhythm of the feet of Dobbin. "'Hurrah!' cried the squire, who was still as young in mind as if he had no body. "'By George, we will be just in time. Never mind what I said, my lads. I was a little bit cross, I know. Take out the crumbs from the bottom of your trenches and go two inches deeper. Our new potatoes are come at last.' "'Mary, come out with a gallon of ale!' Squire Oglander, having retired now from the army and all warfare, was warmly devoted to the arts of peace. Farming, planting, gardening, breeding, training of dogs, and so on, all of these quiet delights fell softly on a very active mind when the vigor of the body began to fail. HE LOVED HIS FARM AND HE LOVED HIS GARDEN AND ALL HIS ATTEMPTS AT IMPROVEMENT AND NOTHING BETTER THAN TO POINT OUT HIS OWN MISTAKES TO RASH ADMIRERS. BUT WHERE IS THE PLEASURE OF SHOWING THINGS TO STRANGERS WHO KNOW NOTHING? THE OLD MAN'S GRAND DELIGHT OF ALL WAS TO ASTONISH HIS OWN DAUGHTER, HIS ONLY CHILD, GRACE OGLANDER. THIS IT WAS THAT MADE HIM WORK SO HARD AT THE PRESENT MOMENT. He was determined to have his kitchen garden in first-rate winter order by the time his daughter should come home from a visit to her aunt at Cowley. Now the sister, Mrs. Fermitage, had promised to bring home their joined pet Gracie in time for dinner at five o'clock that very day, and to dine there with them, so that it was needful to look alive and to make quick step of everything. Moreover, this good squire had some little insight, as behooves a farmer and a sportsman, into the ways and meaning of the weather of the neighborhood. He knew as well as a short-tailed field mouse that a long frost was coming, the sharp, dry rustle of the upturned leaves of holly and of ivy, the heavy stoop of the sullen sky, the patches of the spaded mold already browning with powdery crispness, the upward shivering look of the grass and the loss of all gloss upon everything and the shuddering rattle in the teeth of a man who opened his mouth to the wind at all. Many other things than these, as well as all of them, were here, that any man, not blind, deaf, or choked in sighted ignorance, might fall to at once, and dig every root of his potatoes. But the strange thing in this present matter was that Squire Oglander was bent not only on digging potatoes, but also on planting them this very day, Forsooth it was one of his fixed dates in the chronicles of the garden that happen what might, or be the season whatsoever it choose to be, new potatoes and peas he would have by the last day of May, at the latest, and this without any ignoble resort to forcing pit, hotbed, or even cold frame, under the pure gaze of the sky by the time they must be ready. Now, this may be easy at Ventnor or Penzance, or even Bournemouth, but in the highlands of Oxfordshire it requires some skill in management. In the first place, both pea and potato must be of a kind that is ready to awake right early, and then they must be humored with a very choice place, and after that they must be shielded from the winter's rages. If all these musts can be complied with, and several ifs are solved aright, The gardener, eager as well as patient, may hope to get pleasure from his early work. Of all men there was none perhaps more capable of hoping than this good squire Oglander. In his garden and his household, or among his friends and neighbors, or the world at large, he not only tried to see, but saw, the very best side of everything. When things fell out amiss he always looked very wise and shook his head and declared that he had predicted them and before very long he began to find out that they were not so bad as they might have been, his ruddy face and blue eyes and sometimes decidedly waggish nose as well as his crisp white hair and way of standing to be looked at let everybody know that here was a man of no great pretension, yet true and of kind, happy heart and fit to be relied upon. Ten thousand such may be found in England, and they cannot be too many." "'Inside and outside all look alive!' cried this gentleman, running to and fro. Gracie will be home, Miss Grace, I mean, "'and not a bit of fire in the drawing-room grate. "'No Christmas boxes for any of you sluts.' "'Now, I did not mean that, Mary, as you might know. "'Inside the women and outside the men. "'Now, what is this paper for, my dear? "'That they are crypt, sir, have sent an inn.' "'And he be getting so particular. "'Quite right, quite right. "'Business is business. "'No man can be too particular. "'Let him sit down and have a pint of ale. "'He wants me to sign this paper, does he? "'Very well. "'Tell him to come next week. "'My fingers are cramped with the wind. "'Tell Cripps—' "'Now, don't you be in such a hurry, Mary. "'Cripps is not a marrying man.' "'As if I would touch him with a pair of tongs, sir.' A come to have a cripp, sir, a man who always smells as if he had been a comin' of a horse. Oh, poor Mary, the grapes are sour. Tell bachelor Cripps to send in the bag, and bring me the little truck basket, Mary. I dare say that will hold them. Just in time, they were only just in time. Tomorrow would have been a day too late. The squire was to pay a guinea for this bushel of early oak-leaf potatoes a sort that was warranted to beat the ash-leaf by a fortnight, and to crop tenfold as much. The bag had been sent by the Henley coach from a nursery near Maidenhead, and left at the Black Horse in St. Clements, to be called for by the Beckley carrier. "'Stay now,' cried the squire. "'Now I think of it we will unpack the bag in the brewery, Mary.' They have had a fire there all morning, and it will save making any mess in here. Miss Grace is coming BLESS her heart, and she'll give it to me if she finds any dirt. BUT, sir, if you please, Master Cripps is now just beginning his pint of ale, and he never hurrieth over that. Well, we don't want crips; we only want the bag. Jem will bring it into the brewery if you want to sit with Cripps. Cripps is tired, I dare say. These young men's legs are not fit for much. Stop! Call old Thomas. He's the best, after all. If I want a thing done, I come back to the old folk, after all. Well, sir, I don't think you have any reason to say that. Howsomever, here cometh Mister Kale. Mister Kale, if you please, you be wanted. Presently Thomas Kale, the man who had worked so long in the garden there, followed his master across the court with the bag of potatoes on his back. The weight was a trifle, of course, being scarcely over half a hundredweight, but Thomas was too old a hand to make too light of anything. "'I've knowed an the time,' he said, setting down the sack on the head of an empty barrel. "'When that there weight would have failed, you might say, to crook my little finger!' Now, make so bold. Do you know the raisin? Why, Thomas, we cannot expect to be always so young as we were once, you know. Not to do with it, or not. The raisin lie all in the vettles, master. The vettles has fallen from what they was. Thomas, you give me no peace with your victuals. You must groan to the cook, not to me, about them. Now cut the cord. Why— WHAT HAS Cripps BEEN ABOUT? THE BAG WAS MADE OF A STOUT GRAY CANVAS, NOT SO THICK AS SACKING, AND THE CREASES OF THE NECK BEGAN TO OPEN UNDER THE SLACKENING CORD. THREE OR FOUR RED STRIPES WERE SHOWN, SUCH AS WERE SOMETIMES TO BE FOUND IN THE NECK OF A LEATHER MAIL BAG, WHEN THE POSTMASTER HAS BEEN IN A HURRY AND DROPPED HIS WAX TOO PLENTEOUSLY. BUT THE STRIPES IN THESE CREASES WERE NOT DRY AND BRITTLE AS OF RUN sealing WAX, BUT CLAMMY AND DAMP. "'as if some thick fluid had oozed from dripping fingers. "'I don't like the look of it,' cried the old squire. Cripp should be more careful. "'He has left the bag down at his brother the butcher's. "'I'm sure they never sent it out like this. "'Not that I'm of a squeamish order, but still—' "'Good God! What is this that I see?' With scarcely time for his cheeks to blanch or his firm old hands to tremble, Squire Oglander took from the mouth of the sack a coil of long, bright, golden hair. The brown shade of potatoes beneath it set off its glistening beauty. He knew it at a glance. There was no such hair in all of Oxfordshire but his Gracie's. A piece of paper was roughly twisted in and out the shining wreath, This he spread in the hollow of his palm, and then put on his spectacles, and read by the waning light these words, All you will ever see of her. End of chapter 3